Welcome. Uh, I'm Dudley, and I'm a counselor here in town. I've been doing counseling for 35 years or so. And uh, this is the last of a four-part series, Connecting in Relationships, Helping People Connect, Reconnect, and Stay Connected Through the Seasons and Challenges of Life. Um, I want to just give you a little synopsis of the last five days of my life. So I see clients during the week on Monday through Friday. On Friday, I concluded my day of seeing clients. Well, Friday, back up a little bit. On Friday morning, I woke up to a text that was sent to me the night before that one of the clients I've been working with for two years, who's really been a very, very difficult situation uh, involving all kinds of problems and circumstances. A person that attempted to take their life four times and ended up in the hospital again and um, got several kids. Marriage is falling apart, a life that's trying to be put back together. So I wake up to that Friday morning, and um, and Friday afternoon I get, uh, after a day goes pretty well with clients, um, I get a call from another person that I know that I've been knowing for a long time, have tried helping him and his wife, and uh, he tells me that he realizes that all this time he read something on the internet that she has some diagnosis and uh, asked me what I think, and uh, I said, well, I've never really thought of her in those terms, but uh, informs me that he can take it no longer, and after 40 years, he's leaving. And then I go home to go on a, an evening out with my wife, which I love to do with her best friend, and we have a good time. But I come home, and I'm sad and angry, frustrated, feeling like a failure, uh, wondering what what can I do, and this life is so sad. And, um, uh, and then Saturday... Um, me and my wife have been struggling through a difficult season and we have, we, we kind of have a breakthrough and we become vulnerable with each other in a way that we haven't for a while and we kind of share that. So there's a moment of really closeness that we, that was really good. And then I wake up Sunday morning, go to church at an odd time, eight o'clock, because I need to put up some blinds and have an extended lunch that I usually go over to my daughter's house. She's 32 and mentally handicapped, and that's always bittersweet. It's good to go see her, but then I always leave somewhat sad because of the state. Uh, I can't connect with her like I want to, and I never will be able to until we get to heaven because she's autistic and Though she loves me and she likes me being there, it's just not the same as having a normal daughter. And then I come home and for some reason or another, something is going on in me related to I don't even know what. And my wife and I kind of get disconnected again and the rest of the Sunday is lonely and uh, feel very disconnected. And then I wake up Monday. And uh, 
I have Monday, uh, I wake up and I'm totally depressed. I don't want to go to work. I want to run away. And I, I think about running away three times a year, but I never do it. And uh, I want to quit my job and go do something else, make cookies for a living. And, um, but I, I can't because I have an all-day intensive schedule with a couple who uh, is very much like me and my wife and has some of the same issues, and i got to go work with them. I've already done a three-day intensive, which started out really uh, with them. It went really good the first day, went terrible the second day, and on the third day I'm wondering, Lord, how are we going to get through this? And then a miracle happens, and the very thing that we've been trying to get to happen happens right before my very eyes. So now I go work with them. This is kind of like a follow-up one-day intensive to a three-day intensive, and the morning goes great. They're all pumped and everything, and in the afternoon we, we jump into the core problem that they're struggling with, which happens to be the core problem that me and my wife struggle with. There's no accident how God does that. Um, and I don't know how we're going to get through this. Like, it, it's ending, and it's like what I'm doing is I'm, I'm just sad for them being in this sad place that they can't resolve. And I don't know how in the world it's going to get resolved. And then it flips, and God does something. And she says something that he's always needed to hear, and then he says something in a different way that she's never heard before, and they get to a place that I never would have thought they could have gotten to that they didn't think they were going to get to, and it it ends up off the chart, OTC. And I'm so happy and awed, as I often am, and then I get in the car to go home, and then I get sad that me and my wife can't get through this issue, and we probably never will. And then I go home with that, and uh, still I got my client in the hospital, uh, and I get a call from the hospital that, that night that disturbs me, and I can't reach my client, and... Michelle doesn't know what's going on with me, and I don't know what's going on with me. And we get into two conversations that go bad. And then uh, we go to bed kind of, you know, semi-disconnected. And then I wake up the next day, which is Tuesday, which was yesterday. And I, I, am, I wake up late, and I'm trying to have my quiet time with God to figure out what's really going on with me, to sort through these feelings I know that I'm sad and I know that I'm angry and I'm trying to write about it. And she wakes up and then she starts talking about one of our sensitive areas, money. And I haven't figured it out yet with God, so I'm still in the throes of my feelings. And she's disrupting my quiet time now. And I'm getting frustrated and and then I get angry. And then uh, the people come to fix our garage door, which has been broken for a long time. And she has to go deal with that. And then she's in the bathroom getting ready. And I'm trying to apologize for it. I'm trying to explain what's going on with me. And she gets snaps at me. And then I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm trying to apologize to you. And then I apologize. And we, you know, we get through our thing. And then I go to work to see more clients who are struggling with problems. And, uh, 
And then uh, it occurs to me, I have to do the fourth part of a four-part series on connecting and relationships. And I haven't sent the PowerPoint and outline to them yet. i got to do that either tonight or tomorrow morning, and I'm too tired to do it Tuesday night. So then I spend this morning and today getting that together. And um, I have lunch with one of my favorite people in the whole world today. Uh, we have lunch twice a week, and we talk. One of my best friends, a friend that I made four years ago, who's probably one of the best friends that I've ever had in my life. It's a very much a reciprocal relationship. Uh, it, it came as a result of a talk that I gave, kind of like what I'm going to tell, t- talk to you about tonight, where he, he, uh, <laughs> he, waited four months before sending an email to ask me to go to lunch out of fear. And then I responded and we went to lunch. And what's come out of that is a four-year relationship that we both cherish. It's like the highlight of my day, highlight of my month when I go to this luncheon. And and I'm just telling him, you know, we, we ask each other how we're doing and stuff. And And I'm just saying, man, life is really screwed up. It's so hard and so sad and so many broken people and I'm broken and everything's broken. And I said, one thing for sure is we both got job security. He's in ministry. I'm in counseling. Uh, It's not going to be any shortage of material or people to work with for sure. And then we cut up and we laugh and we support each other, and I leave there with my cup filled and my heart full, and that was five days. You ever experienced five days like that? Anybody live in this world, the same world that I'm describing? <laughs> okay, good. Um, so I want to pray, and then we'll get into the message. Lord, uh, you sent me here. You want me to speak to these people. So I give myself to you and I ask you to use me to speak to them. You know where they are. You know what they're struggling with. You know what they need. You know the relationships that they have in their life and the state of those relationships. They may not even be able to fully acknowledge the truth about where they are. They may not even be able to, you know, they may not even see. Just like some of the couples that I come in with, the guy rates it a nine and the woman says it's a four. It may be in one of those relationships where their partner is really upset and they think everything's fine or on the other side of that. Or they may be dealing with a, a problem child or a, work situation or a a friendship that's gone awry or a death, the loss of someone, maybe a personal loss where they're entering into a season of life that is um, just really difficult, painful. Or maybe they feel like they're distant from you and they come to church, they go through all the motions of Christianity and 
they just don't feel it. They, they like pretend that they're okay, but they're really not. And I don't know where they are. You do. And there's a lot that I could say in all of this. And right now I'm just asking you to guide and direct my words so that it may minister to the people here that you want to speak to, that you want to do a work in, that you might help them. This is not about me. This is not about what I have to say. It's about what you want to do in their lives. And so I ask you to do whatever it is you want to do, what they need you to do, what they've been praying that you would do, just like you did for that couple that I sat with on Monday, just like you've done a hundred, if not a thousand times with me and in my relationship with my wife, with my own family, with my siblings, with people at work. You've taken a situation that seemed absolutely, utterly hopeless, and you flipped it in an instant with a new insight, with a new way of seeing things, or you did something in one or the other, and it totally flipped and it was healed and transformed. You have the power to do that, and I ask you to do that through me tonight with the people here. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to pull out a handout. First of all, those of you who were here last week, you got the handout that I promised you from last week with the pursuer withdrawal on one side, and the reparative words and phrases. That's from last week's message. would encourage those of you who have not made all of the series to go and watch it online. If you go to familylifeflchurch.net, I believe, uh, they have their, their Sunday series that they're doing, Family Matters. I was one of those Sundays, which was the Sunday before the first Wednesday night. So that was kind of like a kickoff message, and then you've got session one, two, three, and four under connecting and relationships. So you can go watch the Sunday that I did and all of the Wednesday nights that you missed, and they have all the sermon notes online too, so I would encourage you to do that. Tonight, this handout right here is what I want you to look at, truths about getting your needs met. Okay, and and we're going to talk about this and I'm going to go through this outline tonight. And this is, pretend this is a book, okay? Because one day it will be. And I'm going to just give you the cliff notes of that book tonight, which is what I've learned in my 58 years of living and being married 35 years and helping people for 35 years. This is what I've learned. And uh, Doug, if you put up that heart diagram... Also on Sunday, if you don't have this, it's out there in the foyer. You can get it on your way out, but don't worry about it right now. Just pay pay attention to the slide. It looks like this. It's got the seven core needs, and then it's got that heart diagram at the bottom. That's out in the foyer. If you missed that Sunday and didn't get that handout, you can pick it up on the way out. But this is the way that I understand people and life. If you look at this heart diagram, The two great commandments say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in those two commands are implied three needs, that we also need God's love, we need 
the love of others, namely our spouse, our significant other, but also others, friends and family, and that we need to learn, we need to love ourselves. Love others as you love yourself. So we're supposed to, when we have a legitimate need, and there are seven that I identified, four A's and uh, three S's, we need attention, affection, affirmation, acceptance, significance, security, and support. Those are not up there. They're on that outline. What it all boils down to is we need love and connection. Some of us need some of those things more than others, and everybody's different. Everybody needs love in a different way. That's why the guy that wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, uh, made millions of dollars on that book because he talks about there's five different ways of expressing love. Time, words, touch, service, and gifts. Okay, so mine are just different words that express the same thing. I've seen many different lists of what we need. The bottom line is God knows we need love and encouragement and support because the Bible is filled with commands that tell us to love one another, to love others, to be patient with others, to be kind with others, to to be self-controlled, to encourage one another, to, um, you know, weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we're told to do things for others. Husbands are told to love their wives. Wives are told to respect their husbands. So whatever God commands us to do in the Bible, there's an implied need there. He tells us to do certain things because he knows we need those things. So we need love. We need God's love. We need other people to love us. We need to learn to love ourselves. When we don't, when we have a legitimate need, such as attention or affection or uh, affirmation or acceptance or significance or security, or support, and we don't get those needs met in a in the right way, in a legitimate way, through going to God or in healthy relationships or or loving ourselves, then what we end up doing is we end up demanding it from other people and trying to force them to meet our needs, or we disengage, we cut ourselves off from our own hearts and we pull away and withdraw and pretend that we don't have any needs so so as not to get hurt, or we displace. In other words, we turn to work, alcohol, sex, uh, food, entertainment, unhealthy relationships, which is really all about medicating and escaping our pain and settling for counterfeit good and worship. And you could take almost any human problem and put it in there, that we start out wholehearted. God wants us to live wholehearted. We go through life, our hearts are broken. Then we lose heart and we become half-hearted. And that's why me and my pastor friend have job security. Jesus said of his own ministry, he, he, he stepped into the synagogue and picked up the Isaiah scroll and he read from it 
a verse in Isaiah, and he said, I have come, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he says, today that that has been fulfilled. That scripture is fulfilled in me. And so then he comes on earth. He goes back to the Father. He, he is crucified, died, and buried on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sin. He comes back to life to show what happens when you die. And then he ascends to heaven, and he says, but wait, I'm going to send another one who is like me. And he says, you know him because he's been with you, but he's going to be in you. The Holy Spirit, who is just like me and the Father in a different form, just like you got water, ice, and gas, like the Father would be sort of like the the gas, Jesus would be the ice, and the Holy Spirit would be the water. Same thing, three different states. The same, like me, is going to come and live inside of you. And he says... I've been with you, but I'm going to be in you. And when we receive him as our Savior and our Lord, when we acknowledge our sin and our brokenness, and we say, I need you, save me, he comes to live inside of us, and the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, comes to live inside of me. And now I'm hooked up to the infinite source of love, and I have access to that. But even then, even when I have a connection with God through Jesus Christ, like I do, like my wife does, like my pastor friend does, just like many of you do, we still struggle in relationships because we live in a fallen world and there's broken people all over the place. Hurt people hurt people. We're living a love story in the midst of a war. And there's casualties all over the place. People are bleeding, wounded. We get wounded. We get shot at from some of us shoot ourselves. We shoot each other. Other people try to shoot us, and then the enemy's trying to shoot us at the same time, all trying to keep us from the goal. And we're supposed to, Jesus said, I've come to give life and to give it abundantly. I'm saying, really? Yeah, I've given it to you, but you also have to fight for it. You have to, you're hooked up to the infinite source of the universe of love, just like you're hooked up to the internet, but you've got to get online. You've got to bring him online. You've got to walk by the Spirit. You could either walk by the Spirit or by your flesh. You've got to choose daily to be filled with the Spirit. And to connect with God, you've got to play a role in this. You've got to cooperate. And it, it, God doesn't force himself on you after you're a believer, just like he doesn't force yourself, himself on you before you become a believer. And he doesn't make you just when you become saved or receive him as your Savior, automatically whole and 100% cured of everything. You still got issues. You have to renew your mind. You have to make healthy choices. You have to deal with your emotions on a daily basis. And then even if you do everything right, there's all kinds of people around you that mess your peace up. 
Just like I'm having my quiet time and I can't, my quiet time's messed up. I had to get rid of the dog my wife gave me to cure me of my depression because the dog would be in the other room and want my attention and I couldn't do my quiet time. I was feeling sorry for the dog. So this is what I've discovered about getting your needs met. And, and let me just say this. If you go to that slide to choose about getting your needs met, you have this on your outline that I'm talking about, the, the page, the front and the back. So let me, let me just tell you this. Uh, I, many years ago, I was trying to figure out, okay, what I was trying to write down what do I know to be true? And one thing that happens is one, the main reasons why relationships break up, the main reason for affairs, the main reason for addiction, the main reason for almost every bad thing that we do is that we have needs, legitimate God-given needs inside of us that are not being met. They don't get met the way they need to get met, and that's why the problems happen. That's why we sin. That's why relationships fail. Bottom line. So this is the truths about getting your needs met. I'm saying that you need to get your needs met or else if you don't get the love you need, if your needs don't get met, it's like your heart doesn't get blood. It's going to stop functioning. If you don't get your needs met, you're not going to function. You're going to break down just like your heart would stop beating if it didn't get, if it didn't get blood. You need love, the right kind of love, given in the right way from the right people, or else you, you're going to be messed up. So this is the truths that I've come to. Truth number one, there are healthy and unhealthy ways of getting your needs met. You agree? Number two, your flesh, the world, and the devil will tempt you to get your needs met with counterfeit goods in ways that do not really satisfy your soul. Number three, other people cannot meet all of your needs all of the time, nor can you get all of your needs met all of the time in spite of your best efforts. Because we live in a fallen world. We have a flesh. And even though what I just said is true, you're, even though your needs need to be met or you don't function, Sometimes your needs are not going to get met, no matter what you do. Number four, this is regarding those of you who are married. Your spouse is not going to meet all of your needs and will probably not meet all of them in a way that totally satisfies you. In case you hadn't figured that out yet. Stay married at least three years and you'll figure it out. You're, you're, most people, if they get married in the right way, under the right circumstances, young enough, um, when people normally get married, they're, they're drunk for 18 months to three years, and then it wears off, and they start to see reality. And the, and the, the illusion of being happily married goes away. Once you have your first kid, everything that you thought you knew about marriage and raising kids and this is supposed to be a joyous thing. Yeah, it's a joyous thing. But I got married, had kids, and I got depressed. It was miserable for me. It was not happy at all. Now, part of that was because I had issues, okay? 
but part of it is it totally changed my life. I was selfish and self-centered, and then I get a kid, and, and I'm supposed to be happy about having the, 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 the child, which I kind of am when they goo-goo and gaga at me, but not when I come home and my wife's tired and, and, and stressed out because she's, she's been trying to nurse a child that won't nurse, and we don't know that she's mentally handicapped yet. It, it takes all, I get all of my wife's attention, and then it's cut at least in half, if not two-thirds is gone. And then you have another child, and then you got to, and, and, and so if you're a self-centered, selfish person, one of the ways God works that out of you is gives you kids. Then you know how he feels. You give your life to these children, and they don't appreciate it. Now you know how God feels. So under number four, spouse, A, they are not God and they should not be made to be your God. There are people who are in relationships where it's like if your spouse treats you good, if they love you, if they like you, if they treat you nice, then you you feel good. But if they don't, you don't feel good. It's because they are the center of your universe. You're trying to get too much of your need met from them. Your spouse, when they're at their best, can only give you about a fourth of what your heart needs in the way of love. Some people try to get all of it from their spouse. You can't. You got to get some from God, some from others, and you got to give some to yourself. B, they are flawed and have issues like you. C, no matter how good they are, how hard they try, they will not be able to totally make up for what you do not receive as a child. D, in spite of their best efforts, at times they will hurt, disappoint, and not be there for you even when you need them the most. It's just the way it is. That's the reality of the world. If you don't experience that in your relationship, praise the Lord and get down on your knees every day and thank him. Because you're blessed. Number five, you will have to meet some of your own needs. And six, there are certain needs within you that only God can meet. Now, I'm going to go through the others, but I want to just, I want to just jump ahead. Well, actually, let me, let me cover the first one first and then I'll, I'll jump to the slides, Doug. Uh, so look at, look at number one. Now, we're in church and I figure that most of you go to church and you've heard a lot about God, but let me just give you a little bit, just some nuggets, okay, to think about. Under God, so you've, you've got to have a relationship with God. You, you've got to learn to drink from what I call the four sources of love. And many times I've illustrated this by having three glasses on a table and a really big container of water. On the really big container of water, I put the put God, that's God. And then there's three cups. One is your, is your spouse, one is others, and one is yourself. And I fill them all up. And, you know, I, I talk about like you can't drink all of the fluid out of your wife's cup, all of the love out of her cup, or expect her to put, you know, put all of her, her water in your cup. You know, a lot of us at the end of the day, we feel like we have no water in our cup. Well, you, you gotta go get filled up with God so you have water to give to others 
In other words, the water is the love. So when I say you got to learn to drink from the four sources of love, if you look up on that diagram, that means you got to learn to get love from God. You got to learn to get love from your spouse or others and yourself. That's the four cups. So let's just talk about God. So A, and you look on your outline, it's not going to be up here on the slides yet. You get to know God through his word and spending regular time with him and expect his presence, peace, power, provision, and protection. Those are all rights of children of God. I love that. In his presence, there's the fullness of joy. Every child of God can expect from God, no matter what you're going through, his presence, his peace that surpasses understanding, his power, his provision, and protection. Now you say, well, that he sure didn't protect me in one of these cases. Well, that's a whole nother conversation. That's when bad things happen. That's a four-part series if y'all want to book that one in the fall. <laughs> B, and look, let me tell you this. That comes, let me just say B first. B, practice, if you never tried this, practice journaling like you're talking to God or Jesus and wait for a response. Then write down whatever comes to mind. If you've never done that, try it. Right, dear Jesus, just express whatever you're feeling, or dear Father, dear God, dear Holy Spirit. You can write dear journal if you can't relate to God yet. Just write to the write on paper as though you were talking to someone that cared about you. And then wait. Ask a question, talk about a problem, and then wait. And then whatever comes to mind, write it down. And see what happens. I've been doing that for 30 years. I've got, I got a drawer about that full of past years of journals. And I'm telling you, many times when I've done that, God has given me incredible words or insight or ideas, or maybe at the time nothing happened, but later in the day or later that week, the very thing that I was dealing with or struggling with, the answer came or, or a person came or, or the provision came. On Monday morning, the day that I told you I woke up and I was so depressed and I didn't want to go to work after being so disconnected the day before, I got a text from my sister, hey, brother, just thinking about you. And I got a text from someone in my small group who I don't really know that well, but we had a text exchange last week, and he says, I'm praying for God to give you a, uh, to come through in a big way for you today. Exactly what I needed. just to get into the shower <laughs> and into my clothes so that I could get into my car to go and help this couple. <laughs> no man or woman is ever greater than his devotional life or her devotional life. There's a scripture in Luke where Jesus spent all night in prayer it says he spent all night in prayer. And he was God, okay? You got to understand. He spent all night in prayer. You know what happened the next day? 
the multitudes came to him and power was flowing from him and it healed every disease that they brought to him. He preached the greatest sermon that he ever preached was a sermon on the mount where he gave the Beatitudes and he chose his 12 disciples. Do you think there's any correlation between the fact that he prayed, he spent all night in prayer, which was both talking and listening, and the next day he had power to heal people and he had discernment to choose 12 people that were going to be his disciples and he had the words to speak that have lasted 2,000 years that a whole a whole faith rests on. C, don't miss the good part. The story of Martha, of Martha and Mary, you know, Jesus came to town. He stays with Lazarus, Martha and Mary, their sisters. And it says that Martha was busy in the kitchen, you know, with all her preparations. And Mary was seated at his, the Lord's feet. And, and Martha gets upset with her sister because she's not helping her because there's a big crowd of people there. They're entertaining, you know, and, and, and she says, Lord, don't you see that I'm doing all this work alone? And there's Mary just sitting there. Why don't you tell her to come help me? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered by so many things. Really only a few things are necessary. Really only one. Mary's chosen a better part and it will not be taken from her. I've taught this many times in many different contexts, but let me just give you the, give you the bottom line of it. So when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered by so many things. Number one, he's talking to a true believer who's serving in the name of God. She's serving Jesus and the people who have come to listen to him. What more noble thing can a person do? We're called to serve, right? That's what they talk about in church. The ministers at this church, the people in leadership, they are serving the Lord. What better thing can you do? She's serving the Lord. And Jesus says to her, when she complains, she doesn't have enough help. We never have enough help. There's never enough help to minister to people. He says, Martha, you're, Martha, dear Martha, Stuart, you're, you're worried meaning you're preoccupied, you got so many things in your mind, you're so preoccupied, you're worried, preoccupied, thinking about too many different things, and you're bothered, meaning you're encumbered, you've got too much on you. It's like you'd be wearing, you know, eight jackets on you, and you couldn't move. You're so preoccupied, you're thinking about too many different things, and you're so encumbered, you got too much on you. He says, you're worried and bothered by so many things. But really, only a few things are necessary. That's a message in and of itself. You are worried and bothered by so many things. Really, only a few things are necessary. Really, only one. What is that? Pray tell. What was Mary doing? receiving Jesus' love, just receiving 
Just sitting there, receiving, doing nothing. Not serving, not trying to be good, not doing anything. Just sitting there, listening, letting him love her, doing nothing. And let us be clear that Jesus rebukes the one who is serving him and says, this other person is doing nothing but receiving my love. They chose a better part. And it's not going to be taken from her. There's a lot of us that are so busy serving the Lord and serving others that we miss the good part. It happened to me when I was a teaching a Bible study. It happens to me now. I've got too many things to do. But I tell you what, I don't, I don't miss often anymore because I know my life depends on it. I, that first hour of the day, that's my devoted time. He gets the first and the best, not the leftovers. You know why? Purely selfish reasons. It ain't about him. It's because I know if I don't, I won't be able to get out of the door. I will not be able to function. I will not have the strength. I will not have the courage. I will not have... I will not have the power. I will not have what I need to be able to do what I need to do. I, I, I won't even be able to, I, I won't be able to do anything. I can do nothing without him. I need him. Beth Moore said it like this, D, don't just believe in God. Start believing God. Learn to truly believe and say, God loves me, God sees me, God hears me, God understands me, and God lives in me. So I want you to repeat these with me, okay? I want you to say, God loves me. God sees me. God hears me. God understands me. God lives in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You see, you, you can say it, but do you believe it? You need to believe it. And then you need to learn to live and walk by the spirit that is within you. Again, it's not automatic. You got to be filled. When, when, when the scripture says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the spirit, it doesn't mean the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've studied the verse. It means be being filled with. It's not a one-time filling. It doesn't happen at baptism. It doesn't happen at conversion. It's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It means be being filled with the Spirit every day. Go out and what did he, what did he, what did the Israelites do? God gave them the promised land, just like he's given us life abundantly, but they had to go in there and possess it. And then, when they got before that, as he was testing them, he would, he, there was nothing for them to eat. They had to go get manna every day, and they couldn't store it up. They could only get it for the day. What do you think he means when he says, give us this day our daily bread? You know, go each day and get the manna, and you'll have enough for today. Come to me each day, every day, in the morning, and I will give you what you need for that day. Now, tomorrow morning, it's gone. you got to start all over. You got to get what you need for that day, that day. 
that kind of dependency. That's what I need. Like, if, if you don't have that, you're missing an essential quarter, the most essential quarter of the love that you need in order to sustain you for the rest of your life. And you will try to get the love in other ways, and too much of it will be directed toward your spouse or others in your life. And when you don't get it, you will be brokenhearted, lose heart, and become half-hearted, and you will either demand, disengage, or you will displace and you will go medicate and settle for counterfeits. It's a guarantee. Now, back to your outline. We're going to talk about spouse. So let's go back to your outline. Let me just tell you this first. The first thing on your outline, you see that two most common sources of happiness, Doug? This is, you know what the Gallup poll from more than 130 nations report that the two most common sources of happiness are engaging in good relationships and continuing to learn new things. That's what makes people happy. You want to be happy? Engage in good relationships and continue to learn new things. Learn how to paint. Learn how to tend the garden. Learn how to get a plant and it not die. Learn how to take care of it. Learn how to teach your pet tricks. Learn to build things. Learn a computer program. Take a course. Learn how to speak uh, well. Go to, go to Toastmasters. Anything you take on to learn, if you're in the process of learning new things, there's something intrinsically good that makes you feel good. Like you couldn't possibly learn all the things that there are to learn in the world. God gave us an incredible place to learn what are, number one, learn what your gifts are and develop them so you can use them to bless others and glorify God. There's nothing that will satisfy you more than that. But continually be in the process of learning and growing and, and doing new things. And engage in good relationships, which is what we're talking about. This is a, a formula for maintaining a successful relationship. Pray together, play together, learn and grow together, stay together. Supposedly, the divorce rate is the same for Christians as for non-Christians across the board. Josh McDowell, who did his own research, said that if you look at another factor, if whether for the Christians that pray together, that are married, that pray together every day, and you compare them to the other Christians or the population at large, less than 1% or just over 1% of them end up divorced. But not just pray together, play together, learn and grow together. What happens in a relationship when one person grows and the other one doesn't? It's not pretty. It gets very uncomfortable. You see that happen all the time. And you stay together. Okay, those first pictures, first slide. How many of y'all see this or experience this? Now, in this case, it's the husband. 
We're talking about the marital relationship here. What's he doing? Well, we got gaming up at the top left. He's reading something on his iPod or his computer. This guy's taking a call out on his date night. Not good. And they're supposed to be in bed talking, and he's on his computer. What is he, an idiot? And then it's like they were going to spend the day together. It's uh, it's sports on TV. And then we got, go to the next slide, Doug. Up oh, there was the woman's turn here. Look at the woman on the left up there. Date, another date night, a great date date. This is a date day. Got the kids away, and she's talking to her friends on uh, on Facebook. Look at this guy in bed over here to the right. Like, She's either reading some romance novel or watching some silly thing that one of her friends sent her on Facebook or talking to someone, texting, and they're in bed. Look at this one in the middle. She's on her phone and her computer. And what is he begging for her attention? Look at this guy down here. It's like she's watching a soap opera, and he's trying to have a soap opera. And then this guy's over here is like, how long are you going to be on your phone? Really? So you know that scripture where it says, like, I have a cell phone, okay? I know social media is okay. You know, it's it's good. It's all It helps us be more connected. But, you know, just like that scripture says, it's misquoted all the time, money is the root of all evil. I'm not saying cell phones are the root of all evil, okay? You know, money's not the root of all evil. Love of money is the root of all evil. So what I'm saying is the love of cell phones is the root of all evil. Show him this again. I know I've showed it to you twice. Watch it again. Part of what we're fighting against, we're disconnecting in order to connect. So back to the outline, connection rituals. These are some things that I highly recommend you do if you're married, okay, that fall by the wayside the longer you stay married after kids, kissing and hugging your partner hello and goodbye. That's a good idea. 
uh, letter or note writing like you really mean it, not just, bec- not, not just to go through the motions, actually taking the time, not texting, no, write with hand, on paper, deliver. Participating in spiritual activities together that you both enjoy, sharing hobbies and interests, which is a big challenge for people that are in my phase of life, empty nest. After the kids leave, what do you do together? You got to have some mutually enjoyable thing that you share together to have a relationship. Otherwise, what's your relationship based on? Schedule time to check in on each other's day. Physical and sexual intimacy. Sometimes the, the latter it becomes difficult because of time and fatigue. If you have to schedule it in, you schedule it in. Maybe you don't feel like it, but there's a lot of other things you don't feel like doing that you do. You, you make time for, it's a, you make it a priority. Not that it's everything, but it's important. And you try to keep it going as long as you can. My advice is you try to keep it going as long as you can. Regular date nights, getaways, and vacations. This is my formula if you're married. Okay, this is my advice to a young couple with kids. And I'm going to show you one of my friends, my good friend Sean Walker, followed this advice, and I'm going to show you what happened because he took my advice. You, you can get this free. You don't have to pay $200 for this. This is free. Okay, this is it. A date night once a week alone. That doesn't mean by yourself. That means with your partner. Date night once a week alone. Uh, 24 hours alone once a month. A weekend alone once a quarter. And a week alone once a year. No kids, no friends, no family, no work. No dogs. No cats. Goldfish is permitted. So what the hell, I can't do that. For God's sakes, that costs too much money. And what about the kids? What about the kids? You want your kids to grow up and see a healthy relationship? The best thing you can do for your kids is to be in love with their other parent. That's the best thing you can do for them. And to teach them to prioritize that. Teach them to respect your boundaries. You want to teach your kids? Dogs can learn it. If dogs can learn it, kids can learn it. They're a lot smarter than dogs. The only reason the kids don't learn it is is basically laziness or lack of discipline of the parents. Kids learn what you teach them, period. And if you're not together on it, one thinks it should be done one way, and the other one thinks it should be done the other way, you need to solve it. You need to either go into a room, hash it out, and keep doing it until you get it Get on the same page and go see a counselor and pay him to help you figure it out. So my friend, Sean Walker, who's a pastor at another church, um, he's mid-30s, got two kids, and he hadn't taken a vacation in 10 years. And I broke that string by taking him. I made him come to Colorado with me. I, I just took away every single objection he had, and he went skiing. He had a ball. And so he got really bold, and he planned a trip to New York, and he was struggling and sweating, you know, whether to upgrade his room, you know, so that he could see above all the buildings because it was more money. But because of the encouragement and the coaching they had given him, like he, he upgraded and he immediately started to sweat because it was more money. But 
they went on this trip for a week and they got away from their kids for a week. Just he and his wife. His wife was pregnant for a second child then. Uh, his wife is Tori. In this video, you're going to see them in the first elevator on the left corner. He's in a hat and she's blood blonde hair. But this is what happened because they took the time and they went away. This kind of stuff can happen if you put yourself in position for it to happen. Check this out. They were going to a Jimmy Fallon show and this is what really happened. So if you, if you don't make it a priority, it won't, you won't have things like that happen. If you make it a priority, you never know. You might see Jimmy Fallon and Paul McCartney in a elevator somewhere you least expect it. So nine characteristics of biblical fellowship. This is something we should all practice as a church. One, you know, we should make, we should make a commitment or a covenant like to do this. If we're in a group or in a church or in a family, number one, share our true feelings. That's authenticity. Two, encourage one another. That's mutuality. Three, support each other. That's empathy. Four, forgive each other. That's mercy. We should strive for those things. Then, number five, speak truth in love. That's honesty. Admit our weaknesses. That's humility. Seven, respect our differences. That's courtesy. Number eight, not gossip. That's very hard. Number nine, make group, fellowship, meeting together a priority. We need each other. We need this, okay? Like, you can come to church and not get that. It's not enough just to come to church. It's great if you come to church. It's not enough. You need to be in a small group or sharing life together, and you need to be sharing life together with other people who do this, who are committed to this. If you're not, you might need to make some changes there. And I know that's hard. I had to do it. If I, as an introvert, can do it, you can do it. Someone sent me this today, a friend of mine, on hugging. The number of times a person craves a hug in a day, 13. 9.5, number of seconds the average hug lasts. 20, number of seconds for a hug to have medical healing properties. The message... Hug long, hug often. Just be careful when you hug in the opposite sex. Offer a class on that. So I'm going to just tell you the blanks on the last one. I have time to cover it. But three cardinal rules of life-saving and self-care. You can't help everybody. You can't love everybody. Some people won't let you, and some people will take you down with them. You have to keep healthy boundaries. So these have saved what little hair I have left. First rule of life-saving, don't get too close to a drowning person. Throw them a life preserver from a distance. Wait till they surrender. Don't, don't go try to help a drowning person. They'll take you down with them. Don't get too close. Many of us do that. Number two, it's said in 130 languages on every flight that flies everywhere. In the event of cabin decompression, if you have an elderly person or a child sitting next to you, in the event of cabin decompression, put your own oxygen mask on first and then 
put it on your elderly person or your little baby. Why? Because they don't care about the elderly person or little baby? No, because they do. Put your own oxygen mask on first. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can go help others in your flesh or led by the Spirit. There's always people out there to help. It doesn't mean you should help everybody in every situation all the time. You have to use discernment. The last one, don't do for others what they can and should be doing for themselves. If you're working harder at solving other people's problems than they are, it's usually time to back off. Amen? Let's close with a prayer. Father, thank you for this series. Thank you for these people. I pray that something that was said tonight will touch them, will help them, and that you bless them as they put forth effort, that you anoint their efforts, that you cause the breakthrough. You're the great healer. You're the great provider. You're the great sustainer of all life. Help us to have healthy relationships. Help us to learn to give and receive love, to have the abundant life that Jesus promised. You've given it to us. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to claim it. We've got to take it. Help us, Lord, to become love on our way home to the source of true love. In Jesus' name, amen. Read that outline that I gave you. Go and watch the previous sermons and look for it in a future book sometime. Enjoy being with you. God bless you.